African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And this is your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama, back with you once again here on the 8th of July. Thank you for joining us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Well, today we know that the BRICS summit is beginning and it's taking place in Russia. Today we'll be looking at that particular summit. We know that there's a launch that will be taking place this week of the New Development Bank. So you find out about the significance of this particular gathering and what does it mean for the continent and what does it mean in terms of uh, global economics. But uh, before we get into that, let's get our news from Onel Nsinsi. Thank you, Benjamin. Looking at your headlines, hundreds of mourners are gathered in the capital of Lesotho, Maseru, for a memorial service of slain former Army Commander Mabarangu Mahao. The world's youngest nation, South Sudan, marks four years of independence on Thursday, and more than 100 armed Islamists have been killed, captured, or have repented in Algeria in the first half of this year. With your latest news, a very good morning. I'm Onelin Sinsi. The African Union has sent a senior envoy to South Sudan's capital, Juba, to push for a quick peace process with the express purpose of allowing the country to form a government of national unity, James Manuela explains. The African Union emissary that has been sent to South Sudan's capital, Juba, is former Malian President Alpha Omar Konare. He is in Juba to meet President Salva Kiir and other top government officials to kickstart the stalled peace process mediated by the regional bloc IGAD. Speaking in French, Alpha Omar Konare said, My first duty will be to listen to the South Sudanese authorities. If we don't listen to them, if we don't listen to President Salva Kiir, and if we don't listen to other leaders of South Sudan, we will not be able to make any other contribution and that contribution as a brother. 
Meanwhile, the world's youngest nation, South Sudan, marks four years of independence on July 9th. After separating from old Fus Sudan following decades of war, a civil war in the new country broke out on December 2013. The UN says South Sudan now ranks lower in terms of human development than just about every other place on earth. Fighting began in the capital, Juba, when President Salvo Akir accused his sect, Deputy Riek Machar, of planning a coup amid a reported increase in human rights violations. UNHCR's Adrian Edwards says the outlook for civilians is bleak. South Sudan is seeing a continuing worsening of the displacement environment. You now have more than two and a quarter million people are displaced. That's 730,000 people as refugees, about a million and a half people internally displaced. At the same time, it's also host to about a quarter of a million Sudanese refugees. So there is enormous strains on the civilian population uh, in this country. And yes, we're seeing recent uptick in violence too, causing additional displacement uh, just over the last weeks. So it's really a critical situation. And at this anniversary, South Sudan's situation, as far as all these displaced people are concerned is sorrier than ever. It really is not getting better. The vital access and help that's needed is not arriving sufficiently. Hundreds of mourners have gathered at Machabani College in the capital of Lusutu Maseru for a memorial service of slain former army commander Mabaranga Mahao. Mahao was shot by other soldiers two weeks ago in what the government said was a mission to arrest him for an alleged mutiny that went wrong. Speakers are expected to pay tribute to Mahao, who qualified as a lawyer before joining the army. Pathologists from South Africa have examined his remains and investigators from Zimbabwe and Namibia are conducting investigations into his killing. And finally, Burundi officials on Tuesday gathered to discuss their response to a call by African nations to delay the presidential elections by two weeks to July 30th. Regional African states meeting in Tanzania from Monday called for the July 15th presidential polls to be delayed to allow Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni to mediate. The government has yet to issue a response to the meeting of the East African community, whose member states are Burundi, Uganda, Tanzania, Kenya, Rwanda and South Africa, which helped broker the 2005 peace deal. Now recapping on your top stories, hundreds of mourners have gathered at Machabani College in the capital of Malisutu Maseru for a memorial service of slain former Army Commander Mabarango Mahau. The world's youngest nation, South Sudan, marks four years of independence on Thursday. And more than 100 armed Islamists have been killed, captured or have repented in Algeria in the first half of this year. Channel Africa News. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on Programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. 
click on listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views and great African entertainment. Bonjour à tous, merci encore une fois d'être sur Channel Africa. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bokeh, Channel 902. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Uh, you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. That's if you're listening to us using uh, your radio set and uh, you are accessing our shortwave frequency. And if you're listening to us online, it's on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. On DSTV, on the radio bouquet, that's Channel 902. Thank you for joining us. Now, today we're focusing on the BRICS Summit, which will kick off today. And uh, more delegates have started trickling in from yesterday as the South African delegation led by President Jacob Zuma arrived in UFA in uh, Russia. Now, this year's summit will be hosted by the President of the uh, Russian Federation and will go under the theme BRICS Partnership, a powerful factor of global development. Held for only two days, the summit will also see the launch of the new development bank, which has been under discussion since last year and is aimed at minimizing the monopoly of Western financial institutions. Now, to help us look at this gathering, we joined on the line by Dr. Jaya Josi, who is the head of the BRICS Research Center within the Human Sciences Research Council. And also we have uh, Dr. Dikshita Badalka, who is an expert on economic development from the Padalka Research Resources. And I think that we're still trying to get them on the particular line. But uh, just to give you a little bit of feedback, there's been a lot of conversation really looking at uh, the BRICS uh, uh, grouping, whether it's actually beneficial for these particular regions and also there's been a lot of conversations around the idea that uh, is Russia and um, China really dominating the agenda within uh, the BRICS uh, grouping and also what does it actually stand for in terms of uh, South Africa's involvement within the BRICS uh, grouping is it a benefit for uh, the continent does it actually bring in the development agenda into the fold for the African continent Um, and also we know that uh, uh, within this new framework of the new development bank a lot of people are looking at um, what purpose will the new development bank serve in terms of uh, its function and will it be just a clone of um, the uh, world bank instead of really looking at the pivotal issues for these developing nations such as looking at the issues of eradicating poverty dealing with inequalities and also dealing with some of the issues that we're dealing on in terms of climate change but let's see right now if we have our guests on the line who are uh, there with us. Let's see if we can actually get hold of that. As I mentioned, we have uh, joining us on this uh, particular subject, Dr. Jaya Josi, who is the head of the BRICS Research Center within the Human Sciences Research Council. Also, we have Dr. Dikshita Badalka, an expert in terms of economic development in uh, the Padalka Research Resources. Now, let's start with you, Dr. Uh, Jaya Josi. Thank you for joining us on our program. 
Hello. I'm saying thank you for joining us on, on the program, sir. Okay, uh, you are breaking up very, uh, quite often, but I hope you can hear me. Yes, I can hear you. Hopefully that during the program we can sort it out and see if we can okay. assist you during the program. But uh, just looking at uh, the BRICS uh, gathering that's taking place from today, the combined economic output last year of Brazil, Russia, India, China and Brazil and South Africa almost matched the U.S.'s gross domestic product. Now, back in 2007, the U.S. economy has doubled the BRICS. Uh, Dr. Jar Josi, has the creation of BRICS uh, had socioeconomic benefits for these developing nations? Okay, uh, very uh, quickly, the, one of the very important developments in the BRICS group of countries was that since uh, 2013, uh, uh, what the BRICS summits have done is that they've incorporated the economies, regional economies uh, and, and governments in the BRICS summit discussions. In 2013, there was a parallel summit of the African heads of state in Durban that took place. And uh, in 2014, the Latin American countries were invited by Brazil to participate uh, in some of the discussions. And there is a strong uh, component within BRICS that, in particular, the economies, the developing economies which surround the BRICS member states should be the beneficiaries of some of the outcomes of the BRICS uh, long-term strategy. Now, one of the key long-term strategies, the first part of the long-term strategy, the key pillar there is the uh, promotion of economic cooperation and development. So, and I, I expect that in the future, this will take a, a preeminent role with the introduction now and the launch of the new development bank. Now, let's move to you, uh, Dr. Dikchita Padalka. Thank you as well for joining us on the line. In terms of your views, in terms of the socioeconomic benefits on BRICS, what's your view there? Um, thank you, Benjamin. Um, um, look, uh, my, my understanding is that the socioeconomic benefits to the BRICS countries was accruing over the years. Uh, what the grouping has done is that it has a created a club of like-minded countries, and b it has accelerated these benefits or these development activities were happening that were happening in any case. So yes, it's a cyclical um, story in the sense that there was development happening. It led to the grouping, and as a result of the grouping, this development and these development activities and benefits have got accelerated. And, and, and looking at that particular aspect, uh, uh, we know that uh, despite some disappointment in some of the BRIC economics, uh, Dr. Padalka, um, the collective weight in global GDP continues to rise. Therefore, there is an importance of the grouping. But is it not a disadvantage to see the growth of the BRICS economies from a collective grouping perspective rather than see them, uh, how they're growing individually? What's your view there, Dr. Padalka? Um, the BRICS grouping does not preclude the countries from carrying out their businesses at an individual level, from either trading or investing or growing or developing uh, in their individual capacities through bilateral relationships. So uh, the argument that the, the grouping is going to put them at a disadvantage individually is, uh, is misplaced, I would think so. Also because uh, uh, the grouping actually assists 
them to carry out their individual bilateral relationships or economic development initiatives in a much stronger way than it would have been without such a grouping of like-minded countries. So one doesn't, A, one doesn't preclude the other. And secondly, if one were to look at President Zuma's interview to the Russian media, he says it extremely emphatically that the strength of individual countries does not impact on the relationship between the member countries. Each country looks upon the other with mutual respect and uh, and in a and in a manner of equality. So I I think these relationships are what define the grouping. Uh, Dr. Jaya Josie, do you hold the same uh, views there as Dr. Dikshita Badalka in terms of uh, uh, the, the grouping and how some people are saying, hey, maybe looking at this from a group perspective and economy growth from a group perspective is a disadvantage. Do you hold the same views as Dr. Jaya Josie saying, hey, actually, it does actually help these particular economies to sometimes see these uh, uh, partnerships taking place? Yes, I, I agree with my colleague's uh, uh, comments. Just to add that uh, unlike the European Union or other groupings, uh, the BRICS countries is not uh, a union. It's, it's just a partnership. It's a group of countries that are coming together who are like-minded. And, uh, you know, the, you don't have, for example, like uh, common fiscal policy approaches or common macroeconomic policy approaches uh, that, say, the European Union has and uh, where everybody has to conform to that. It's, and I think that the countries complement each other, and this is why when it came to Africa, the South Africa was seen as a, as a key partner in trying to uh, be a, a, a kind of a, a channel for promoting the ideas uh, which provide an alternative view to development than is currently practiced. And also looking at uh, some of the issues that you've highlighted on your piece, I want to look at that particular piece that we were talking about even in the uh, coming up, I've read before coming to this particular conversation. Uh, Dr. Jaya Josie, your essay, Looking Beyond South Africa, the Urgency of Addressing Inequality in BRICS, you state that despite rapid economic growth uh, within these countries, many of them still continue to experience levels of poverty, inequality, and unemployment. why are we seeing these contradictions? Yes, we grew, we're seeing a growth pattern in, in, in this particular grouping, but we're also seeing a lot of disparities. We're also seeing a lot of inequalities within uh, some of these uh, countries. Uh, your views there, Dr. Ja Josie, can you give us your views on this particular essay? Yes. Uh, you see, the BRICS group of countries is not a homogenous group where, you know, they all have similar levels of development. Each country came in at a different stage uh, and was invited into the process. For example, countries like China have achieved a higher level of, 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 uh, of uh, social benefits, socioeconomic growth and development for its population than, say, in South Africa, where we have one of the highest, if not the highest, inequality rates in the world. Uh, and so, so does Brazil. So I think that uh, each country has, as we mentioned for the, your previous question, you know, they, each country has got its own particular problems and contradictions. And South Africa, you know, with 21 years of its uh, uh, post-apartheid uh, uh, dispensation, is not 
uh, have not yet been able to achieve the levels that, say, China has achieved. But yet, India as well, with more than 60 years of independence, uh, still suffers from a similar kind of uh, levels of inequality and poverty, but, uh, you know, and has not addressed some of these issues. Uh, and so I think that each country is starting from a different base, uh, and uh, so it's going to be take some time before they can address that. And one of the biggest issues around for South Africa and India at the moment are socio-economic infrastructure backlogs. And I think that uh, with the introduction of, say, the BRICS Development Bank and addressing some of these issues, we hope that, you know, we'll be able to achieve uh, using the BRICS uh, process because you won't be constrained by some of the, 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 the limits that are placed by the other multilateral development banks. And I think that, uh, you know, we perhaps, I think, it's only about seven to eight years now that the BRICS has been in operation, and perhaps with the new process taking place, that will, that will increase. Well, just to add that one of the most important developments for the BRICS countries is that they've adopted what's called a long-term strategy, and the third pillar in the long-term strategy is promoting social justice, sustainable development, uh, and uh, quality of life. And I think every effort is going to be made towards achieving those goals, uh, which are sort of synonymous with the sustainable development goals being promoted by the UN. Dr. Dikshita Badalka, coming to you in terms of that issue of uh, development and seeing a sense of uh, uh, BRICS actually impacting the ordinary person on the ground, do you think that it's been able to address some of these issues such as poverty, inequality, especially when you look at countries like Brazil and South Africa? Uh, yes, definitely. The, the new banking institutions will be able to address these challenges, though with a long-term perspective. We cannot expect short-term or short uh, uh, immediate miracles out of this because this is a long-term challenge. Secondly, if you look, um, if you look at each of these member countries, each of these member countries does have an existing, functioning development bank. Be it Brazil. South Africa, India, <clears throat> of course China will as well. Uh, so the development challenges in these countries are were being addressed through their own development banks. What the consolidation of these five countries could do is bring the development muscle of these development banks and strengthen the development capacity of these banks. And therefore, one could once again see I mean, one could see a further acceleration in um, the economic benefits of these development activities. Secondly, uh, as per recent uh, survey or data highlighted in a survey, it was brought to attention uh, that Brazil and South Africa led in terms of converting foreign investment into social progress. So both Brazil and South Africa have shown that investment can help um, address these challenges. And one only has to, therefore, um, go by this track record and accelerate that further.
Well, uh, we're getting insights from Dr. Jaya Josie, who's the head of the BRICS Research Center within the Human Sciences Research Council. Also, Dr. Dikshita Padalka, who's an expert in terms of economics and economic development, and she's from the Padalka Research Resources. And we're going to take a quick break and continue this conversation with them. And we're going to move into a different dimension in terms of looking at, uh, seems that China seems to be playing a dominating role in BRICS. And we see also uh, Russia in terms of uh, conversations this time around seeing itself uh, as uh, uh, one of the main leaders of uh, the BRICS. So are the power struggles within the BRICS uh, uh, grouping in itself? We'll come back and discuss that, but we want to get your insights on your views. Uh, what do you think? Do you think South Africa as uh, uh, a representation of Africa is doing enough within the BRICS uh, uh, units to actually push the African agenda? Let us know what you think. What are your thoughts? SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero that's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero within south africa it's oh seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero you can also interact with us at african dialogue that's our twitter handle and at channel africa one we want to hear your views let's take a quick break we'll continue this conversation Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views and great African entertainment. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. You are listening to African Dialogue. My name is Benjamin Moshatama. Just a reminder, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Today we're looking at the BRICS Summit, which is beginning today in Russia. and getting some great analysis from our guests today. We've got on the line Dr. Jaya Josie, who is the head of the BRICS Research Center within the Human Sciences Research Council, also joining us. And not for the first time, but she always gives us great insights when it comes to uh, global economics. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Dikshita Badalka, an economic uh, expert, and uh, she's from the Badalka Research Resources. Now, I want to look at the issue of the power struggle. Would there be one within the BRICS uh, grouping? Uh, starting with you, Dr. Jaya Josi, China seems to be playing a dominating role, especially when it comes to its uh, energetic approach in trading skills and investment. Is uh, this something the BRICS countries should be aware of and uh, try to regulate for a sense of equality? Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, you know, if you by aware of, do you mean should they be careful of that or should they be uh, feel threatened by that? I don't think so because uh, within BRICS uh, there is a certain level of uh, respect for each other's views and political perspectives and I think one of the uh, foundational principles of the BRICS is uh, respect for uh, sovereign rights of each country. And so I don't think in that sense they should be aware or be wary of China's uh, involvement in the BRICS as a whole. Uh, 
Secondly, if in, in terms of the way in which, say, China is intervening as an independent state and investor in Africa and others, well, you know, I think the big issue there is is the space that, uh, as my colleague has said earlier on, the space for investment uh, that is created in Africa. And that space for investment, especially foreign direct investment and trade links, uh, has been created because of the gaps left by the former colonial powers. And many of the, the, the big gaps in, in Africa, for example, for foreign direct investment and especially investment in infrastructure is huge. And I think there's space for just about everybody to want to invest there. And many Western countries are also investing in some of the African countries, some very major projects like in Ethiopia and Egypt and sub-Saharan Africa, uh, especially with respect to energy and transport, et cetera, as room for, you know, partnerships across the globe. So in that sense, I don't think that China or India or any other big uh, major British country poses a threat. Brazil itself has huge investments in certain parts of Africa, Lusophone and other parts of West Africa as well. So uh, I think that uh, uh, it's, it, one should see this role of China as being complementary and supplementary. And, and, and it's attractive to many of the African countries in particular. Uh, it's because the level of conditionality that is attached by Chinese is not as, as, as demanding and as uh, painful uh, as, as the ones imposed by, say, Western countries or Western banks, investment banks, etc. Coming to you, Dr. Dikshita Padalka, there definitely is a Russia-China super axis, uh, superpower axis there, as some people kind of reference to that, uh, uh, that these are stronger economies. Dr. Dikshita Padalka, in terms of Russia in itself, we know it's starting to have a, a big investment in terms of uh, energy and nuclear energy and also kind of trying to push that agenda within uh, the African context. What's your view in terms of uh, uh, Russia's uh, um, presence within Sorry, Russia. I was saying, what's your view in terms Sorry, of? That, I, I was asking, what, what's your view in terms of Russia's role within the BRICS uh, setup? Um, uh, coming to the first part, which is on the investments in energy, etc. Um, one, we needs to look at it in a broader context, and which is that is the model that the world follows for economic growth and development. The current approach of investment and um, growth is not people-focused. It is, if I may say, profits-focused, and it is um, drives inequality. It further entrenches inequality. So if one were to look at Russians or any country's investments in energy, for that matter, one has to ensure that these investments and the fruits thereof are channeled towards people-centric progress. And there's sufficient scope to enhance people's lives through better energy. And therefore, one can channelize Russia's role in the BRICS and the world at large by ensuring that the model of economic growth that is currently followed is tweaked to, in order to enhance the impact on human life.
Very interesting there. And uh, uh, it's an interesting approach. We know that already Putin has arranged a meeting for tomorrow that will see BRICS leaders looking at uh, uh, combining with the Shanghai Corporation Organization and the Eurasian Economic Union. And if you're just listening to us and uh, you want to find out who are these uh, unions, the Shanghai Corporation Organization is the permanent members that include uh, BRICS members and also countries like uh, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, uh, Czechoslovakia, and Ubeskistan uh, and other uh, countries such as Afghanistan, Iraq, Mongolia and uh, Pakistan and uh, we know that also the, the Eurasian Economic uh, Union includes Russia, Kazakhstan and Armenia and Belarus. Uh, coming back to you uh, Dr. Jaya Josi looking at this uh, particular arrangement of BRICS leaders meeting with the Shanghai Corporation Organization and the Eurasian Economic Union is this uh, unique uh, this time around or is this something new that is taking place here? No, I think it's not new because, uh, as I said earlier, uh, when, the, when they had the big summit in Durban in uh, 2013, then South Africa invited the parallel summit uh, of heads of state of African countries to present their views and how they see the development of BRICS. Uh, South Africa didn't really seek to, to, to represent Africa in any way. They just, because South Africa was a member, they offered that opportunity uh, to invite uh, its African partners and heads of state to the summit to be able to, to say that, you know, uh, we, we, South Africa would, would not like to leave out the African countries. And the same that Brazil did in Latin America. So I think that those precedents were set. Uh, in 2013, 2014, uh, and I think what Russia is doing now is setting us, is inviting the countries uh, in its regional areas. And it's interesting that the summit is taking place in Ufa, which is in the uh, uh, in the regions in the you know Southeast Asian I mean, Asian uh, part of uh, Russia. Uh, uh, and so it's nearer to China and nearer to those countries in Kazakhstan, etc. So I think Russia is trying to do exactly what uh, South Africa and Brazil have done before that by inviting those countries in. So that, you know, there can be a regional impact on what takes place within BRICS. Very interesting. Coming back to you, Dr. Dikshita Padalka, uh, with that particular way of uh, looking at uh, partnerships, are we seeing new trends of uh, uh, economic investments and uh, countries trying to find uh, different countries to get investment from or invest into? Uh, yes, most certainly we will be seeing new trends and we have been seeing um, uh, new trends uh, that, that the dynamism of any, any economy. But the basics will always be that investments or money flows from areas of low returns to areas of high returns. And of course, money flows from where there is a pool of capital to where there is a lack of capital. So the basics will always be that investments will flow to regions where the returns are higher. And it's up to the BRICS grouping to ensure that they remain attractive to investors in terms of returns. It's just about redefining what those returns are. Because initially, these returns were defined as returns to the old order of financial um, institutions, which is the IMF and the World Bank and the conditionalities therein. But we need to redefine those returns on investments and and this redefinition of the returns on these investments must come uh, 
from the BRICS countries themselves who are to have a higher say in these investment flows. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take another break and uh, we're going to uh, come back and uh, just uh, sum up this particular conversation with looking at uh, coming back to the new bank. And some people are saying this is a new era. Some people asking the question, saying that, hey, uh, the new development bank, uh, is it going to become like a World Bank clone? Or is it really going to be people-centric, looking at eradicating poverty, looking at unemployment, looking at dealing with net carbon emissions? Uh, uh, how are we going to... Uh, see this uh, new development bank unfolding from the BRICS grouping. You are listening to us here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. I've got uh, uh, Dr. Jaya Jose who's joining me in, uh, our, as our guests today. Uh, he's the head of the BRICS Research Center within the Human Sciences Research Council. And also we have Dr. Dikshita Bedalka, who is an expert on economics and development from the Bedalka Research Resources. We're going to take a quick break and come back to these other themes and wrap up the conversation. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. Do you think that South Africa's role within the BRICS uh, grouping has actually been beneficial for Africa? Let us know your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's if you're outside South Africa. It's the same number within South Africa without the plus two seven. So if you are uh, interacting with us within South Africa, it's on oh seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Today we're speaking about the BRICS summit which kicks off today. Delegates have been trickling in from yesterday. We know that uh, the delegation of South Africa led by President Jacob Zuma arrived in UFA in Russia uh, yesterday and uh, we know that uh, the main theme is BRICS partnership, a powerful factor of global development. That's the main theme for this particular year. Now we know that there's a lot of conversations around the new bank. It's been taking place for the previous year. Dr. Dikshita Padalka, the last time I spoke to you, it was on this particular new development Bank and we spoke uh, uh, very much uh, comprehensively on this particular uh, issue. But I just want to cite a, a, a conversation or a piece written by Muhammad Yunus, who is a Nobel Peace Prize winning economist and banker. And he wrote a piece where he states that uh, obviously the new development bank should not become another world bank which finances the same types of projects in the same countries using the same tools and mindsets. At the same time, its purpose should not simply be to symbolize emerging countries' desire to show off their political and financial power. The reason for its creation must be very substantive. The NDP, or the NDB rather, should be based on entirely new objectives to be carried out with new strategies. It would be easy for the NDB to fall in the same track as the World Bank since it is, since it is in the same business. But the NDP must resist this from day one. How do we make sure, Dr. Dikshita Bedalka, that, hey, we see a new bank with a new style that's dealing with really uh, uh, essential development issues? 
Um, yes, that indeed is uh, a question that I think will get addressed over time as the bank operationalizes its structures. Um, and I, indeed, at this point, I would urge your listeners uh, to go through the interview uh, given by President Zuma to the Russian media, wherein he outlines the important role that the BRICS banks can play in doing business. And uh, it, it, it shows that, yes, there will be business done on new terms and on terms that are conducive to the uh, developing countries. Essentially, uh, the new bank or the BRICS bank must address, in my opinion, micro-level problems of the human capital in these countries because the current edge that is hyped for these BRICS countries is the demography dividend and the, it's the contribution to GDP. Now, this has to be protected and enhanced, and to do that, the focus of the BRICS bank must marry the macro uh, conditionalities together with the importance of micro impact. And I think in that uh, scenario, the, uh, the Professor Yunus's uh, uh, founded bank, the Ramin Bank, can also have an important role to play in the operationalization of the funding that's going to be made available in the future to the next bank. I hope that addresses mm, it. Mm. I think those were good and insights. I like the whole so the view in terms of it dealing with that micro level form of investment and uh, uh, the people on the ground, the people centric approach. Dr. Jaya Josie, your views on how uh, the new development bank can be different from the likes of the World Bank. Okay, uh, just to give you a perspective, I am a member of the Brick Think Tank Council, hmm. of the South African Brick Think Tank Council, and we had a meeting in Russia recently, and it was part of what was known as the BRICS Academic Forum. And this particular question was uh, dealt with fairly in detailed way. I uh, also attended recently and presented a paper in India on the New Development Bank and these particular perspectives. One of the things that emerged, and I like my colleague's uh, response to this, is that you've got to do, you've got to have addressed the macro-to-micro dynamics of investment. If you don't do that, then you're not going to achieve the goals that uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Nobel Prize laureate had referred to from the uh, founder of the Grameen Bank. And some of the key issues that have developed, uh, have emerged over the past few uh, forums that I've attended is the strategic development policy priorities for the bank. One of those, for example, the China Development Bank has a major program on urban renewal, which is looking at local government, investment in cities, investment in the, trying to bring people out of the slums, etc. Another big program is smart city construction community renovation. From South Africa, the, the Human Science Research Council and the South African BRICS think tank is pushing for the issue of inclusion of social housing and related services to address the, the right of people to shelter and decent uh, accommodation. Uh, we're looking at rural modernization specifically in those areas, accessibility and transport, water, sanitation, and waste removal. All these particular issues uh, impact on the lives of people in the communities, in the urban surrounding areas, and then in rural areas. And we feel that 
the big development bank must take these issues into cognizance. Otherwise, it's going to become just another development bank, just another bank similar to the World Bank. And also, I know we're also speaking in terms of uh, the views of uh, what's happening in terms of the new sustainable goals. Everyone is talking about the UN in terms of moving from the MDGs to the uh, new sustainable goals, um, sustainable development goals. Uh, uh, staying with you, Dr. Jaya Josie, do you think also the, the, the bank will have a role to play in that regard? Yes, uh, very specifically, we in, uh, in the particular uh, pr- paper that we addressed, we, we promoted the link between uh, the SDG context for infrastructure investment. Now, there are three goals that are specific in the new proposal for the, that the UN is pushing through, and this is goal six, which says ensure availability and sustainable management of water and sanitation for all, uh, looking at indicators of population using safely manage water services, etc. Goal 7 talks about access to affordable, reliable, sustainable and modern energy for all, uh, looking at indicators of population using cooking, modern cooking solutions and, and the share of the population using reliable electricity. Goal 11 in particular has a, a very specific uh, resonance with the, what we raised earlier, cities and human settlements inclusive, safe, resilient, and sustainable. And this specifically looks at indicators of urban population, people within uh, less than uh, 0.5 kilometers of public uh, transport, ratio to land consumption, etc. And and also looks at disaster, natural disasters, air pollution, green spaces, solid waste, domestic revenues allocated uh, to sustainable development as percentage of Gini. Uh, uh, gross national income by sector. So those are some of the indicators that have very specific impacts for infrastructure and are related to infrastructure from the SDGs. And we think that this must become an integral part of the bank's uh, uh, goals uh, to achieve that. And I know in China, for example, the Chinese Development Bank and the Asian Development Bank, and I think in, in the African Development Bank as well, has included some of these issues, especially with respect to uh, uh, sustainable climate uh, impacts uh, of, of the fossil fuel usage. Uh, AFB, uh, African Development Bank, is investing in South Africa to mitigate some of those uh, uh, pr- problems. Well, we have to wrap it up there. Thank you to you, Dr. Jaya Josi, uh, who is uh, from uh, the BRICS Research Center, is the head uh, of that particular center within the Human Sciences Research Council. Thank you as well to Dr. Dikshita Padalka, an expert on economics and uh, development, and uh, she's from the Padalka Research Resources. Thank you both for joining us on the program. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's how we wrap it up. Uh, and uh, let's move on. It's 11.45 Central African time. Wisani Matebula is with us in studio to give us our economics news.
Thanks, Benjamin. And the current story is that the Greek uh, government is currently preparing new proposals to end the stalemate over its debt crisis after a Eurozone summit in Brussels declared that the problem must be resolved within five days. The summit's chairperson, Donald Tusk, called it a final deadline and says it's a critical moment in the history of the European Union. Pressure continues to mount for the Greek government and other Eurozone leaders to either give some ground or take a huge gamble that could change the single currency. And over 500 China-listed firms have announced their trading halts on the Shanghai exchange this morning. Mainland China shares have continued to plunge, falling over 8% at one3 Three, despite more moves by regulators to stabilize the market. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index is down 5.1% following the mainland's fall. The country's securities regulator says its state-backed margin finance firm will provide adequate liquidity for brokerages firms to try ease the panic sentiment. Risha Madurai reports. Chinese stocks dived after the securities regulator said the tumbling stock market in the world's second biggest economy was in the grip of panic sentiment as investors ignored a battery of support measures from Beijing. Around 30% has been knocked off the value of Chinese shares since mid-June and for some global investors, the fear that China's market turmoil will destabilize the real economy is now looming as a bigger risk than the Eurozone crisis. The plunge in China's previously booming stock markets, which had more than doubled in the year to mid-June is a major headache for leaders in China who are already struggling to avert a sharper economic slowdown. The ongoing delay in the promulgation of the final position paper on biofuels by South Africa's Department of Energy could cripple the new industry. The regulations regarding the mandatory blending of biofuels with petrol and diesel were gazetted in 2012 and are supposed to come into effect in October this year. But prospective uh, biofuel producers have cautioned that the continued rescheduling of the final regulations will result in South Africa missing the October deadline. The country's Eastern Cape province is taking a lead in the establishment of a viable biofuel industry with four sites already launched across the province. Economic Development MEC Sakumzi Somyo explains. What has been uh, hampering uh, some kind of progress uh, has been uh, finalization uh, of a model uh, of subsidization uh, in as far as the production uh, towards uh, biofuel is concerned. That is what we are engaged uh, in uh, so far. And South Africa's business confidence uh, index had dropped to a 16-year low due to a weak local economy and weak uh, global demand. The business confidence index dropped by 2.3 index points to 84.9 in June from 86.9 in May this year. This is the lowest point since uh, January 1999. South African Chamber of Commerce and Industries economist Richard Downing explains. Fixed investment in the economy isn't growing as it should. It's not that the levels relative to the economy what it should be. And that is a worrying factor because that is the, uh, the capital stock that we have in future that will take us to higher growth levels. And we know unemployment is very high at the moment, so that is something that we must attend to urgently in terms of, of the economy. And then, of course, you know, government intervention, sometimes more in terms of regulation and uh, that type of issues, you know, constraining business to some extent. We know the issues of labor that business has constantly been put to the fore, you know, that is, is, is some constraint on business. And I think there's a business is, is looking to government actually enhancing the climate in which you want to do business. 
Financial indicators, the dollar 12.46, South African rands at 9.89, Botswana Pula and 7.51 against the Zambian Kwacha, also at 0.64 to the British pound and 0.89 against the euro. Commodities, gold at $1,153, platinum $1,022 a fine ounce, Brent crude oil has gone down to $56.55 per barrel. That's your economics news. Well, it's time for us to move on. Get our sports from Tami Kosa. Thanks for joining us in your sport. Let's start with cricket, where South African protest T20 leg spinner Ed Lee says that he's only focusing on fulfilling his role for the South African team. This follows an impressive debut in the 31-run victory over Bangladesh yesterday. Lee collected three points to finish with figures of 3 for 16 in just three overs and believes that these are most exciting times in his cricketing career. Yeah, well, it's always exciting and you know, to make a debut for your country. We've got good, good spinners in South Africa. We've got guys like Pangi. We've got Imran Tayo, which I'm trying to learn as much as I can from them. Just coming into the team and trying to fulfill the roles that guys have been fought in before, I mean, it's very, very exciting. And despite bowling in conditions that favor spinners, Lee says that all that was at the back of his mind was to keep things simple and bowl wicket to wicket. In South Africa, the way I would naturally bowl it will be to, you know, just to keep it simple, try to bowl wicket to wicket. I try to do the same here. You know, I never try to look at the pitch too much that he's turning. I just try to keep it simple. If you look at Bangladesh today, they started very well. So for me, in the middle period, was just to keep it as simple as I can. If they were taking ones, then I thought we were doing a pretty good job. So that was my focus, not wickets. Obviously, yeah, the, the wicket did encourage me a little bit. So I was just happy, man, that, uh, you know, I, I made my debut for my country. And for me, I was really excited to be bowling in those conditions. Very, very special. And nine soccer, Nigeria's Super Eagles outgoing coach Stephen Keshi has threatened to, to drag his employer, the Nigerian Football Federation, to the Court of Arbitration for Sport for an unfair dismissal. Super Eagles video analyst Anderson Ogugwa has more. What Keshi has done is right or what he has done is wrong. But of course, as a sportsman, as an, as an individual, as a citizen of the world, he has every right to appeal or go to the sports arbitration to maybe see if he can get a reprise or something of that sort. But the NFS, knowing that firing Keshi before his two-year contract was due, would have to pay some kind of, um, would have to make some kind of financial commitment. And now in tennis, South African Kevin Anderson became the owner of an unwanted record at Wimbledon when Novak Djokovic beat him in the fourth round yesterday. Chris Powers tells us more. No one should be too surprised that Kevin Anderson lost to Novak Djokovic, but having been two sets up, it does feel like a bit of a letdown. But the real value in the performance should come over the next few weeks, when Anderson either builds on this great performance or doesn't. In recent years, he's faded in the second half of the year. He's currently 10th on this year's results alone, so if he can keep up this level on the hard courts of North America over the next eight weeks and on the indoor courts of Europe after that, he could yet qualify as one of the eight elite players at the ATP Finals in London in November. 
In the women's quarterfinals, Serena Williams beat Victoria Azarenka in three sets to move to within two wins of holding all four major titles, though her next opponent is Maria Sharapova. Today is men's quarterfinals day with four absorbing matches. For me, the pick is the battle of Stan Wawrinka and Richard Gasquet, both players who've progressed somewhat under the radar and who should offer a beautiful display of all-court aesthetic tennis. And South Africa's last survivor, Raven Klaassen, plays his third-round match in the mixed doubles. He and Raquel Copps-Jones take on Haria Takao and Katerina Robotnik. And in rugby, South African Springbok fly-half Peter Glemby suffered a head injury in a freak accident at training in Cape Town yesterday. Soon after the Springbok training group had completed their warm-up exercises, the players were doing drills when the medical staff were called onto the training field at Cape Town Stadium in Greenpoint to attend to Lemby. He had taken a knock to the forehead and he suffered a gash which required hospital treatment. He was taken to hospital and by the time the training session had ended two hours later, the box was still waiting for news on his condition. Finally in golf, this week's event on the European Tour is the Aberdeen Asset Management Scottish Open, played as in recent years on a typical links course, providing an excellent build-up to the Open Championship and England's Justin Rose won in Aberdeen a year ago and is excited to be back to defend his title. Yeah, really excited to be back here. Um, obviously a different venue, um, Gullen as opposed to Royal Aberdeen, but style of the golf remains the same. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the challenges that Lynx Golf presents. This is one of my favourite times of year because of that. And, um, you know, the Scottish Open was really, and I guess in addition to my schedule, um, you know, years previous I've um, practised and prepared going into the, into the Open Championship. That's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa and back to Benjamin Moshatama. Well, is South Africa pushing enough? Is it doing enough in order to make sure that uh, the African agenda is being actually uh, uh, really facilitated through the BRICS uh, grouping? What's your view on that particular theme? Let us know your thoughts by SMSing us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Within South Africa, it's a way take away the plus two seven. It's oh seven nine six nine. That's how we wrap up today's program. Remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Interact with us via Facebook. Channel Africa is the page. Simply title that or you can tweet us at Channel Africa 1. It's the numeric 1. At Channel Africa 1. Or you can also tweet us at African Dialogue. That's at African Dialogue. From me, Benjamin Mushatama. Until tomorrow, God bless.